Greetings to all of you who have gathered here this morning. Ko Andrew Tokuingoa, the Lens Kaarahi, for the Central Interceptor online field trip. Now, just before we get underway with our web conference this morning, I'm going to begin with a karakia. Unu here to Ford, Ford to the to Al to Alpha to Tangata. Tatai Kironga, Tatai Kiraro. Tātai ahorau, omie, huie, Well, no my Heidi, my welcome to the web conference, our first of two web conferences for the Central Interceptor online field trip. And really looking forward to catching up again this morning with Ksenia and Boyan, who have uh, featured in the field trip so far in videos. So if you haven't been on the field trip website and checked out the videos for this field trip, you must do that because it's an amazing, amazing project that we've had the privilege to get a bit of an insight into. And so this morning we're going to um, build upon those videos and chat with Tithenia and Boyan. But just before we kick off with some questions, um, maybe Boyan, Tithenia, can you just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the role that you have within the project, please. Thanks, Andrew. And I'm the environmental manager for the Central Interceptor Project working for Watercare. So what we do, I've got a team of uh, four of us, and what we do is make sure or help the project follow the environmental rules. So we want to make sure that when we are working on a construction site and we're working in your neighbourhood, that we are respectful of your environment and that we don't um, cause you too much inconvenience. So construction sites are noisy and they do cause some traffic problems. We recognise that. So we just work our hardest to make sure that we deliver the infrastructure without you causing you and your families too much, um, too much noise and too many problems. Thanks, Ksenia. Boyan. Uh, good morning. My name is Boyan. I am uh, one of the engineers working for Watercare on the Central Interceptor project. So I have a team of site engineers and um, collectively um, our responsibility is to oversee the tunnel boring machine, which is constructing the main tunnel, um, as well as uh, constructing a series of shafts which will connect to the tunnel uh, further the north. Brilliant. Well, it's um, great to have you guys here this morning. And we've got Woodhill School joining us this morning with a somewhat depleted class um, for a number of reasons, uh, including a Ripper rugby tournament. But it's great to have you guys listening. So we're going to kick things off, and I'm going to ask some questions this morning. And uh, learn a little bit about the work these guys do. And um, and work that they've done and a bit more about the Central Interceptor project. Maybe um, maybe just before we do, just in case some of you haven't actually looked too far into the Central Interceptor project, um, Boyan or Ksenia, would one of you like to summarise what this project is all about? I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so the Central Interceptor is a... Uh, a long underground tunnel, uh, which will capture uh, wastewater overflows, which currently go into the environment. Um, so we're gonna capture them into this tunnel, 
and take them down to Mangari wastewater treatment plant for treatment before it is discharged and um, into the back into the sea. Brilliant. Andrew, can I just catch you up onto where we're up to? Is that yeah, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, okay. Thank you. So what we do is we've got a year five to eight class. So we're yeah. in a little school, as you know, so year five to eight. And we've usually got 23 students. What we did last week is um, I introduced them to the concept of the central interceptor. We looked at the words that it's called and a few other keywords like isthmus and things like that, which were all new vocab. And then in our math session, we worked out how much wastewater we thought um, Aucklanders um, used each day. So they'd had a whole math session for about an hour and a half and presented their findings on what they thought that was. So they, they looked at flushing toilets and sinks and baths and washing cars and all of those sorts of things. And that was really interesting with maths and big numbers. And then we've watched all the videos apart from the last three. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they found the tunnel boring the one the most exciting, I think, and that was really, really interesting. So if you want to talk about what it's like being down there, <laughs> that, that would be great at some stage. So, um, but yeah, they're, they're quite interested in it, just quietly interested in listening and things like that. So yeah, a whole new concept. And of course, we're not, we're not urban. We're, um, we're rural out here. So, um, you know, they, they've got their own septic tanks and all sorts of things mm. like that. But understanding the concept of, you know, living on the outskirts of a big city, what needs to happen there. Yeah. So that's sort of where we're up to. Yeah, brilliant. So um, there's, there's heaps of maths involved in this, um, you know, when you look at the size and the length of, of the tunnel. Uh, so, yeah, that's really great that you're incorporating, incorporating something like this. It's happening right now. Uh, Real-world maths, brilliant stuff. So we'll just tick through these questions. I'm sure that um, at some point, probably, probably maybe, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get that question from Boya. <laughs> we'll get that answer from him about what it's like in the tunnel. I can talk a little bit about it too. But Boyan, um, is the Central Interceptor the biggest project, uh, engineering project you've worked on? And um, what makes it such a big project? Um, yeah, it's absolutely by far the biggest project I've worked on. And I think that many of us have worked on, there aren't many in the team that have worked on anything bigger. Um, on a New Zealand scale, it is huge. Um, it is the biggest project that Watercare has ever undertaken. Um, on an international scale, it is huge. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't get that much bigger than this. Um, it's an incredibly long tunnel. It's a, it's a big tunnel. Um, it's, it's very deep. Um, there, it's very complex. So there are a lot of different um, elements to it. There are a lot of different um, designs incorporated into it. Um, and Above all, it's got a big price tag as well, so that makes it pretty big too. <laughs> How much <It's>, money? <laughs> uh, the the overall scheme is one point two billion dollars. A lot of money, and to kids, that's a huge amount of money. Yeah. Well, there was a person in America that won <laughs> two billion in a, in a lottery the other day. They could pay for that. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> With some of those complexities you mentioned, Boyan, is, is that like because it goes through different substrate, like different rock types, and it's got twists and turns and, up and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, so, so there, there's certainly that element. So the geotechnical um, 
design, so uh, accommodating for those the different strata underground. But also, it's not just a tunnel. Um, once the flows get to the end of the tunnel, um, it's still very deep. So we need to build a, a large pump station, which will then pump all those flows to the surface where there is a treatment plant to, which will process the, that wastewater. So just to build that treatment plant, uh, sorry, that pump station, um, there's a lot of geotech um, design, structural engineers are involved, uh, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers. So all these um, different um, parts of engineering come together to, to build a final product, which is the tunnel and the pump station. Awesome. Well, look, we'll come back to Boyan because I don't want to leave the senior out for too long. But how did you get to be um, an environmental manager on this project, Ksenia? Well, that's a really good question and a lot of um, thinking about that. And, and I think what it comes down to is, is studying what you are really interested in and then exploring the different kinds of uh, jobs that you can do in your field. Um, I don't think that when you're young, you realise just how many different jobs there are in every, every field, like engineering um, or environment or HR, or any field that you want to go into. There's just such a variety of jobs that are available to you in Aotearoa. And I never imagined that I'd be working for industry. When you think about environment, you think about being an ecologist or a biologist and and well, once I finished my degree in environmental science, then I went looking and I was surprised to see the variety of jobs that I could uh, work in. And I was lucky enough to kind of come across a, a job working in industry. And that's where my career has led me. And um, just by step by step, I've um, been involved in bigger and bigger projects until um, towards to now I've been involved in the Central Interceptor Project, which is, a, as I said on the video, is such a privilege. <laughs> you say it's a privilege, so you must find it quite satisfying doing the work within this industry. Incredibly satisfying for an environmental person. So you're working on a project that the end game is an environmental improvement. Like the aim of the whole project is to improve the waterways for everybody living in Auckland. So I appreciate that uh, you know some of us are on septic tanks and perhaps don't you know don't. Um, aren't contributing to the central interceptor, but everybody will use the beaches in, in Auckland and use the Waitamata and use the Manukau. And so these are all uh, taonga that we can all enjoy when they're cleaner. And so what are the sorts of things that you manage environmentally? So a lot of my work is um, getting the environmental approvals that we need and working with the contractor to make sure that we meet our obligations or meet our consent conditions. But we work on such a diverse range of, um, of activities. Like, for instance, today, I'm going out with my team and working with a charity called Sustainable Coastlines to collect litter. We're also working on a project that we will um, install public art in the parks that we're working in. So I'm, I'm working on a presentation with that today. And then later in the week, I'll be going out with the council um, to inspect the sites and make sure that they're happy that we are meeting what we say we'll meet in our environmental approvals. Right, so it sounds really varied. So it's something to think about you guys in class there, about, um, about different jobs, but not just different, different careers, um, different fields 
within that career that you can branch into. Boyan, we talked earlier about the fact that this is the largest project you've worked on. What's the smallest engineering project you've ever worked on? That's a good question. Um, I guess as a, a fresh graduate out of university, you, you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> um, and I happened to start as a traffic engineer. So I was, um, above all, all things, I was uh, re uh, investigating uh, intersections and minor safety improvements on the roads seeing um, where the hotspots for crashes were and um, how, how the road layout and the design could be improved um, to, to reduce the number of incidents and crashes. So I guess the, the smallest one was probably a, a pedestrian crossing that, that I got to review and upgrade um, somewhere in Auckland, I forget where. <laughs> so we had another question here about the differences between a small project and a large project, I guess they're kind of obvious, but what will be some of those main differences? I guess the, the main one is on a small pro project, it's, uh, yeah, it's just you doing everything. <laughs> Whereas um, on a project like this, we've, we've got a huge team and a lot mm. of support. And um, yeah, it's, it's not, not, not just that support, but the camaraderie that, that comes along with it as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing you say. Um, and it seems, I'm always, cause I was amazed just being on site for a couple of days. Just, I got a sense of that camaraderie and it's the, the team culture. There's a real good culture that's built into these projects, which is so important because it, like you say, there's such a large workforce within the project. And it's so important that there's, that, that people get along with each other and people are, you know, particularly in times like these, uh, I feel good, feel healthy. Very important, wouldn't you say? I've said it all, right. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So, um, well, these guys have been doing some math. So um, are you using maths quite often in the work you do? And, and, and what, what kind of calculations and maths are you using in this project, Boyard? Uh, I did have to think about this, and then um, I am reaching for my calculator, which happens to be on my phone almost daily. Um, so it could be as simple as working out on average how far the TBM has progressed over the past month, um, and you know, working uh, using that to work out what what we think the forecast is for next month, um, how much spoil we think that the tunnel boring machine is going to produce because that then feeds on to um, you know advising the landfill how how much spoil they can expect how many workers they may need on a given day how many truck drivers we need so there's quite a big cascading effect um, from, from those what seem to be um, small calculations but yeah they do have an effect on others. Yeah, well, we spoke with Ron. Uh, I don't know if you've got to this video yet, Woodhill, but um, Ron, uh, we speak with Ron at Pukatutu, uh, the island being restored, and, and, and there was a bit of a, a calculation. Yeah. Uh, ute loads, yeah. Ute loads of spoil. 
yeah. and how many of those in terms of the amount of spoil being taken out. So yeah, um, so just shows you all that maths that you're doing is going to have some some benefits later on. Um, and even if it's just learning how to use the calculator on your phone. <laughs> and recognising that the answers uh, make sense. That's right. In case you press the wrong button and put too many zeros. <laughs> now, you mentioned right at the beginning, you know, that this project's going to benefit Auckland's environment. Um, and so let's just want to touch back on that because, like you say, these, we've got Woodhill here, who are just north northwest of Auckland, but I'm sure, um, you know, do do venture down into the big smoke every now and again. Um, so you mentioned overflows and beaches. Did you want to expand a bit more on, on those benefits and and how they might sort of spread out into the wider community? Sure. Um, so, as you would have seen in the background information of the videos, um, Auckland is serviced, majority of Auckland is serviced by a series of pipes, so that when you flush your toilet and you use your sinks, then it goes down a series of pipes and it flows um, through all these pipes to, mostly to, to the Manukau, uh, to the Mangere Wastewater Treatment Plant where it's treated. It's similar to your septic tanks, right? So you flush the toilet and it goes into a tank and in the tank, the, there are bacteria that treat it and then it flows through your field and disperses into the environment. Um, now for the pipes, they only can take a certain amount of, of liquid, right? So a pipe can only be full. You can't put more in it once it's full. And once it's full, if the pipes are full, they need a, a way of getting out. They need uh, some pressure relief. Otherwise things start to pop. And in the worst case, things can flow back into people's houses. So we need all of these series of pipes. Um, and in Auckland, when it rains, um, the area that we're in and that we're working in, that's a combined system. So the rainwater flows into the pipes as well as the wastewater. And they combine and the pipes get too full and they need to go somewhere. And the, the way that they go is into our local streams and into our harbour. The central interceptor is this huge pipe, it's 4.5 metres in diameter. And so it will capture much more of that rainwater and wastewater combined, and then take it from the pipes into the system and go to the wastewater treatment plant, which means that we will have fewer times where the pipes are full and have to go into our waterways. So you know that putting anything into a waterway, things like milk or paint or, or anything into the waterway, the animals and, and plants that live there, they don't like that. You know, we like to have clean air. They like to live in clean water. And so um, it affects the health of the waterways. And it affects us too, because we can't swim in beaches or in streams that have uh, wastewater in it. So once the central interceptor is uh, commissioned and it takes most a lot of this rainwater and wastewater combined, our beaches and our waterways will be cleaner. And you'll see, if you look closely, you'll see that life will start to, um, there'll be more life in those streams and more life in the urban environment. Cool. And so that's effectively answered that last question about how people will notice those benefits. Just wondering, Woodhill, if you've got any questions, we've got a little bit of time left, like five minutes or so, um, while we've got Boyan 
and Ksenia here. Have any questions cropped up that you'd like to ask them while they're here? How fast is the tunnel boring machine move? How fast does the tunnel boring machine move? I think it was on one of the videos, but could you remind us? Uh, on average, it's about 15 to 20 meters per day. So, so twice the width of our classroom a day. It's hard to drill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot going on. So, um, you know, it's obviously got to break through that rock or soil or, or whatever it's going through. And that's also putting the rings around as well. So there's, there's lots happening. Now, actually, we did mention at the start, we'd talk more about what it's like in the tunnel. So, um, I mean, I could talk about that, but boy, you've, you've been down there a lot more than me. What's we it do. like working, working underground? I mean, because when you think about it, so you're, you're 35, 40 metres underground, as soon the tunnel boring machine is going to be underneath the Monaco Harbour, and, and you're quite a long way in, you know, you're over a kilometre now, almost two kilometres into the journey. You don't want to think about that too much. <laughs> what's it like? We what's talked it like? about who would like being there, like who would feel claustrophobic and who would, wouldn't. would They'd actually be really excited about it. And it was pretty split within the class around that. So, yeah, we'd love to know what it's like down there and how noisy it is. Yeah, um, it's... The first thing you notice is every time you go down there, you have to walk a bit further. Um, but yeah, we, we've just uh, ticked over the two kilometre mark. Um, it's it, every time you I want to go down there, especially at the moment, you know, it's quite, it's quite cold and raining and you've got jackets on, but you have to force yourself to take those jackets off because you know, as soon as you're underground, you're not going to need it. You want to be going to want to be stripping off because it does get warm down there. Um, it gets even warmer in summer, so we have to chill the air before we um, uh, ventilate that down into the tunnel. Um, in terms of noise, it's not too it's not too bad. The tunnel boring machine has got a couple of the areas that are a bit noisy, but you can still hold a conversation comfortably. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I was surprised because, you know, we were right up by on, on the PBM itself and we didn't need any, um, you know, ear protection. Um, yeah, like you say, and we, we, had a, we had a perfectly fine conversation. And, of course, you would have seen on the video how they pumped that air down so you've got, you know, fresh air the whole time. Yeah. In terms of, can, I'll just add, in terms of, um, you know, feeling claustrophobic, um, the, the tunnel is surprisingly, uh, it is quite big. Um, so once you're in the tunnel, um, it's the same size all the way along. So I, um, maybe some people would feel claustrophobic, and I'm sure that is the case. But I feel, you know, wherever you are in the tunnel, it kind of feels the same. Yeah, they like yeah. the analogy of how many rhinos wide and a giraffe tall. Yeah. They love that. It's really stuck in their head. Yeah. yeah. Well, you could also drive a double-decker bus through it. <laughs> the, um, it's a little bit tight um, moving around on the machine itself. Um, and, of course, um, you would have seen that we, we got a ride to the machine on a, an electric locomotive. Yeah. 
So uh, just as just as well we we went down there when we did because um, I had a hard enough time walking back <laughs> one and a half kilometres because we couldn't get a lift back. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really funny because when you're walking back on the wall, it's every what ten metres. There's a yeah, roughly, yeah. There's Every markings. 10 metres, it tells you how close you are. So it's like, <laughs> you know, count, oh, just a kilometre to go. All right, now 990 metres. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you kind of have to force yourself not to look at those markings, otherwise <laughs> it's kind of like watching the clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we've got two more questions, if that's okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so Anahita? Um, how long will it take until the tunnel is done? So how long till it's finished, the tunnel's finished? So the, the full tunnel will be, uh, we're aiming to complete it in 2026. So that, that does feel like a long time, but um, the we've split it into two sections or two halves, and we hope to bring on the first section um, sooner than that. So we can start, um, you know, realizing the benefits of the tunnel sooner than 2026. Gosh, they're going to be a lot older by that time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And um, Caitlin. Did the boring machine come from New Zealand? So the tunnel boring machine was uh, manufactured in Germany. Um, there is a little bit of a story to that. Um, it's uh, Herring Connect is the company that provided the uh, tunnel boring machine. And they've got factories in China, like many companies. Um, and the TBM was originally meant to be um, built in China, but it just coincided with the start of COVID. And if you recall, COVID first started in, in China, was thought to have started there. And at that stage, we thought that sounds quite risky. There may be delays to the TBM arriving here in Auckland. So we asked them to shift the manufacturing to Germany. And did it come over in a whole piece or did it come in parts? Um, so it came in quite a few parts. The, the full length of the TBM is 190 meters. Uh, so there is, the front end of it came in, in four pieces. So we've got the big cutter head on the front, which does all the, the the cutting on the on the leading edge. Uh, then there are three uh, shields, which are essentially uh, they look like steel cylinders. Um, and then behind that, we have what, what's called gantries. So they're kind of like trailers, and there are eighteen gantries which are towed behind the shields on the front. And will will it stay in New Zealand when the job is finished, or will it go somewhere else? Will it still be usable? Um, so after 15 or near on 15 kilometers, it'll need a good uh, re refurbishment. <laughs> um, but it will. There is a market for second-hand um, refurbished tunnel boring machines. Um, typically, they get sold back to um, the manufacturer, so Heron Connect. Um, they refurbish them and then um, hopefully if there's another tunnel around the world that's a, of a similar diameter, similar size, um, that it, yeah, they can certainly be reused. Oh, there's another question. Yeah, Paige? 
have you dug up anything cool? So we saw some of the fossils and things, but yeah, have you dug up anything cool? And no, things, a, um, we've got year five, six, sevens here at the moment. What would be cool to them or cool to you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a good question. So we dug up some very cool and very old uh, shells and fossils when we were excavating the shaft to, uh, to put the TBM in and then launch it. Um, that was a, um, you know, a typical excavation with excavators and big buckets um, digging up um, big amounts of spoil. And we were able to find these shells and fossils and um, that were intact and whole. But the tunnel boring machine, um, unfortunately, the, the way that it tunnels and um, extracts the spoil it sort of um, crushes, grinds, and mushes everything up, and it come the spoil comes out in something like a paste. So, so anything that that may be cool, unfortunately, gets mushed together. I got Ron gave me this. Oh, can't see it very well. I put it yep. on my head. <laughs> that is that is an oyster shell. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we can see it. Yep. It's like a, now that is a. You don't get oyster shells that big no. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of those big old shells that Ron said was because at the time the coast was getting hammered by five meter swell. So those shells had to build up to be really big in order to to um to withstand that the pressures of the big swell. Yeah. So, there is hey, another well, been... um there is another um feature in Auckland, the, the uh, water view connection that was built with yeah. a tunnel boring machine. So whenever you go through that, yeah. you um, yeah, that was a tunnel boring machine as well a few years ago. And that was a big expensive project too. Yeah. Right, Andrew? Yeah, no, it was. We won't, be able to go, we won't be able to go into our tunnel like we can go into. No, that's, <laughs> no. Right. No. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. That's quite a difference there. Um, and so, yeah, I remember, I can't remember who said that, but I remember that from the field trip, somebody saying that, you know, with, with Waterview, people people go through that tunnel all the time, but with this one, it's, it's kind of hidden. But the benefits, uh, the benefits of it will be, will be um, experienced for years to come. Hey, well, look, we'll leave it there. It's been so great um, hearing from Ksenia and Boyan again. So thank you so much. I think, Boyan, you're joining us tomorrow. Yep. Uh, I think you might have Jane tomorrow. Okay, I thought you were with her as well. But anyway, uh, unfortunately, I won't actually be here, so it'll be Barry. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, I have to attend a funeral. But um, thank you so much for joining us, Woodhill. It's been great having you this morning, and great that you can come up with some questions. So maybe next time you could be our speaking school and come up with some questions and put them to our Not experts. too scary. <laughs> not, too, not too scary at all. Yeah. So, um, look, big, uh, big thank you again to Ksenia and Boyan for your time this morning and throughout the, the whole Central Lynx Receptor field trip. It's just been so well supported by you guys and great to get this information out there of, um, of, of what is such an amazing project. Now, uh, Woodhill, you can all yell out a big goodbye to these guys. Okay. One, two, three. Bye.
<laughs> and that will bring thanks our web questions. conference. Yeah, thanks, guys. And that, that'll bring our web conference to an end.